I'll pray. Thank you, guys. Bless you. Y'all can be seated unless you're a student. And then you are dismissed. Guys, that was great. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, let me just add my personal word of greeting and welcome. Thank you for being here this morning. Um, I'm really glad you're here. Let me say something real quick before we begin our our study in God's Word. Uh, I want to say two words of thanks. Uh, First of all, Kim and Jerry, where are you? Are they here? Ah, ah. Uh, Thank you for Sunday night. Um, I think everyone had a great time. And uh, thank you for opening up your home and uh, just being a blessing to the church family and letting us come and enjoy the our, our time together. It was great. Thank you very much. Uh, and then I could mention 20 names. No kidding. But I won't. Thank all of you that came down Wednesday night uh, to Calvary Rescue Mission and helped us minister to the, the men down there. Uh, uh, Whitney, in particular, thank you for preparing that great meal. Uh, it was really good because the dude that runs the show uh, that I, I've never even met uh, he calls me Tuesday afternoon, uh, no, uh, Thursday afternoon, no, it would have been, I don't know when it was, he called me, yeah, but it was Thursday, that's right, calls me Thursday, he says, uh, man, all the men were ranting and raving about how good that meal was, I just wanted to call you and say thank you, and I said, well, I'd like to tell all of you that gave, all of you that, the men thoroughly enjoyed it, and all of you that came, all of you that gave, all of you that prayed, all of you that washed dishes and served the food, uh, and cleaned up, mopped the floors. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being a blessing to those men. Um, I think that's a good thing that we do um, down there. Um, okay, let me pray for us. Lord, I am so excited to be here today, to be in the midst of your spirit, to be in the presence of your son to be in your presence, Father. We believe that you are here and that you are mighty and that you are mightily at work in our lives. We believe that your word has unlimited eternal impact and that it is the source of all truth And it's our hope. God, we want you to speak to us today. We want to receive your grace today. Your wisdom. I've asked you repeatedly. That your people would feel hope and encouragement. From this study. Please make it so. And may that bring you glory and pleasure. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I um. We're taking a little break today. Those of you that are, are not regular uh, attenders here, we've been in a, a year-long study, over a year-long study in the life of Christ, and we are into the third year of His ministry. But I, I wanted us to take a little break today. We'll get back into our study next Sunday. Um, I read something not too long ago that had a list of how... how um, how many seconds we can survive without 
air and how many uh, uh, days we can survive without food and how many days we can survive without water. And they had listed all these things. The thing that I found, hello, the thing that I found striking is that in this long list of things that are essential to our survival, what they did not mention was hope and encouragement. And I would suggest, I don't know how many days we can survive without hope and encouragement, but I would tell you this, we do need that. And we live in a very hopeless world and we live in a very discouraging world. Some of us live in hopeless and discouraging homes. Some of us go to hopeless and discouraging jobs. Um, some of us leave the doctor's office hopeless and discouraged. Um, We need hope and we need encouragement. And I would like, as I said a minute ago in my prayer, I would like very much for the Lord Jesus to give you today some hope and some encouragement because I know that is a genuine need in your life and in my life. Um, we're reading through the Bible together. Those of you that are walking in the Spirit at least, you're, you're reading through the Bible with me. And we have passed Exodus 20. Now what that means to, if you're reading through the Bible with me, you go, oh Lord, yes. That, yeah, we've passed Exodus 20. That means we've gotten from Genesis 1 to Exodus 20. And it's been, for the most part, great event after great event. Interesting person after interesting person. At least... I find them interesting and I find the events just wonderful. Um, now we've come to Exodus 21. And I don't know exactly where you are in your journey, but we're past that. And now we're into the, we're into the part, Exodus 21 through the end of Deuteronomy, where it's hard. It's hard reading. Uh, there's a little button on there where you can turn off that ringer if you, you, can, you can do that. that. Um, that's on the new iPhone 200 or whichever one we are at now. Um, uh, uh, we're, we're into the part where we're going to get into the fabrics of the priest's clothes and the different materials for the tabernacle and all the different sacrificial uh, offerings, the animals, and... Uh, numbering the people and the, and the shovels that you got to carry when you go to the bathroom and all the, all the, that's the part we're in. And we'll be in it for a month, month and a half. Uh, and, and I know that that's hard. It's hard for me. Um, it's not my favorite part. I'm not saying it's not the inspired word of God and I'm not saying that it's not true and I'm not saying that it, that there aren't incredible treasures buried along that journey. That's why I read it every day. That's why I read it every year. That's why I continue to read it, even though it's not my favorite part. There are treasures buried throughout the desert. <laughs> but it's a desert for me personally. And it's hard reading. And I just thought that today I would give you some encouragement and some hope not to, 
join that rank and file of people that have put their hand to the plow January 1, but they have uh, looked backwards and decided to go sit down, give up, quit reading. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not, there's no hidden agenda here. I'm laying my cards on the table. I want you to keep reading even though it's hard. Okay, and so I'm going to encourage you this morning, Lord will Bible, uh, basically say the same thing. One's in Romans 15 and one's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And both of them were written by Paul. Uh, and they basically say the exact same thing. I find it very significant that uh, Paul says the exact same thing two different times in the book of the Bible written to the weakest Christians that Paul wrote to, the, Christi- the Corinthian church. That was the, 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 the most, excuse my French, the most screwed up Christians in the Bible were the Christians at the Corinthian church. The strongest Christians that Paul wrote to were the Romans, the church at Rome. That was the deepest, strongest, most mature group of Christians that Paul wrote to. And he had the same message to both groups. The weakest Christians, the ones that were messed up, and the strongest Christians that walked with God with the greatest faith and maturity. Okay, I find it very significant that Paul said the same thing to both groups. And so I think that my point there is that it applies to all of us regardless of where we are in the food chain. Okay, so let me read these two verses. One's in Romans 15, verse 4. It says, the Old Testament scriptures were written long ago to teach us and give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Let me read that one more time. Romans 15, 4 says, the Old Testament scriptures... That's what we're reading right now if you're reading through the Bible with me. The Old Testament scriptures, even the second half of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Even that part of the Old Testament scriptures. Okay, It was written long ago to teach us and give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 11... Paul says it again a little differently, but basically the same message. All these things happened to the Old Testament saints as examples for us. They were written down to instruct and admonish those of us living at the end of the age. I take from that, or from those two verses, that... You and I desperately need to be students of the Old Testament saints. Because by learning from their lives, we find hope and encouragement. Um, We just finished a few weeks ago the book of Genesis. And... Um, that's an easy book. That's not easy to uh, interpret sometimes, but it's easy to read. It's fun. 
And it's filled with Old Testament saints. And it's filled with things that we can learn from those Old Testament saints. Um, Just so many wonderful things. Uh, And this year, as I read through the book of Genesis, two things jumped out at me. Two patterns of how God relates or how he related to the Old Testament people, the people in the book of Genesis. But for that matter, the way he related to the people in the book of Genesis is exactly the same way he related to the people in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and on and on and on. All the way through Malachi. He related to everybody in the Old Testament exactly the same way. I would suggest that he relates... He related this, that same exact way in the, to the New Testament saints. And he relates the same way to us. Hadn't changed a bit. But as I read through the book of Genesis and I studied the lives of these Old Testament saints, Joe, not Joe, but uh, uh, although he would fit into there, but Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, uh, uh, Noah, Abraham, the patriarchs, and, and so forth, I noticed two different things for the very first time about how God related to the people in Genesis and in the Old Testament. And it relates to how their journey with God began and how their journey with God ended. There's a pattern how their journeys with God ended of how their journeys with God began and how their journeys with God Ended, and I'm going to try my best with the help of the Holy Spirit today to convince you that, bless you, that your journey with God began exactly the same way their journey with God began. And your journey with God is going to end exactly the same way that their journey with God ended. That's, that's my goal. That's my desire. If I walk away from that today and that happened, then I'm going to say, thank you, Lord Jesus. And if it doesn't happen, then I'm going to say, Lord, those people, they're dumb. They just missed it. Uh, no, I'm not. Um, I'm going to be very sad if, if, if y'all don't get it, okay? All right, first of all, I want to I address that these are not hard. These are not, uh, they're not, they are, I hope, life-changing, but they're not earthquake-rattling, okay? They're just simple, straightforward truths that remind me of how many Billions of truths are in the Word of God waiting for us to discover. And these two just jumped out at me this January. I've been reading through the Bible for 41 years. And it took 41, the 41st time. God opened my eyes. And let me see these two things. And I want Him to open up your eyes so that um, you can see Him too. The first one is this. How did... These peoples in the, gen- in the book of Genesis and the rest of the Old Testament, how did their relationship with God begin? How did their relationship, how did their journey with God begin? And what I want to suggest to you today is that if you will re- go back and read, prove me wrong, send me an email or a text uh, or call me and say, Larry, I've I found an example that this isn't true of. I challenge you to find it for me. But what I've discovered is that in every relationship that God had with anybody in the, in the book of Genesis, 
God started the relationship. God was the initiator of the relationship. Not, I couldn't find a soul. Not a soul in the Old Testament. I couldn't find a soul in the book of Genesis. Where people chose God. Every example that I could find in the, in the book of Genesis. And through the rest of the Old Testament. What I found was God. People didn't choose God. God chose them. Noah. He just was a farmer. Minding his own business, not bothering soul. Just trying to make a living. Take care of his wife and his three sons and his three daughters-in-law and hoping for grandkids. And the Bible says that God came to Noah and revealed himself to Noah and spoke to Noah. Abraham. Abraham living in the land of Ur. Doing basically what Noah uh, was doing, except that he was a shepherd, not a farmer, but basically doing the same thing, making a living, having a wife, trying to have babies. Uh, didn't have in vitro back there back then. If they had, he and Sarah had been the first ones in line. He was trying to have babies, and he was trying to raise sheep, and he was trying to take care of his wife. And the Bible says that God came and revealed himself to uh, Abraham and spoke to him. The same with Jacob. Jacob is a, is a shyster. He shafts his brother in some shady business deals. And he's running from his, for, for his life back to where his grandparents lived. And, uh, or his great-grandparents lived. And uh, he's sleeping for the night. Laying his head on a rock. Going, oh Lord, I'm looking for you. I'm searching for you. I've made a mess of my life. And I need you. No. He's sleeping. Uh, he, he's sleeping the sleep of the weary. He's sleeping the, sleepy, the sleep of the content. He, he's sleeping. And the Bible says that God came and appeared to Jacob. And I could go on and on and on with Moses. Moses is herding sheep, minding his own business. Happy he's not in Egypt. Uh, got him a wife and he's trying to build a family and make a living. And the Bible says that Moses one day looks up and there's a burning bush. He's not saying, God, where are you? Where are you, God? I need you. Help me. Help. No. He's minding his own business, not bothering his soul. And the Bible says that God appeared to Moses and said, Moses, take your shoes off because you are on sacred ground in the presence of an holy God. The same is true with the people of Israel. And we'll get to this more in just a minute. But the people of Israel weren't looking for God. They were in misery. They were in agony. They were wailing and gnashing their teeth and rending their garments and throwing dust up in the air and saying, we're miserable, we're miserable, we're in Egypt, we're in slaves, we're having a terrible life. Woe is us. But they're not looking for God. And God sent Moses to them and said, hey, I want you to know that I love you and I'm committed to you and I want to have a relationship with you and I'm going to deliver you out of this slavery. That was God coming to them, not them looking for God. The same is true with Gideon and Samson and David and Mephibosheth and Gomer. Ever find me an example of somebody in the Old Testament 
And the same is true in the New Testament. I'm not being, a, I'm not, you know, being prejudiced there about that. I'm just saying we're in the Old Testament right now. People aren't looking for a relationship with God. God is searching for them. And every example of every person where that, that had a relationship with God in the Old Testament, God initiated that relationship. In every Old Testament relationship that God had, He did the seeking, the pursuing, the initiating, and the reaching out. Now some of you uh, more diligent students of the Bible, you're sitting there going, like George is back there, I know it, just, just biting at the bit going, but now wait a minute Larry, doesn't the Old Testament or doesn't the Bible say that we should seek after God? Doesn't the Bible say seek the Lord? No. I believe it does. The Old Testament does tell us that we must seek after God. God seeking after us does not negate our need and responsibility to seek after God. First Chronicles chapter 22 says, Now seek the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. Jeremiah 29 says, If you seek me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Isaiah 55 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Colossians 3 says, Keep seeking the things that pertain to Christ. And Hebrews chapter 11 says, All who come to God must believe that he exists and that he will... We are those that diligently seek him. We are to seek God. And some of you would say, but Larry, I, there was a season in my life where I was seeking the Lord. That's true. I have no reason to doubt that. I'm just suggesting, really I'm declaring, that the reason anyone seeks God is because God had already begun to seek them. God was seeking them. God was seeking you. God was seeking me long before you and I ever began to seek the Lord. Our seeking God is always in response to God seeking us first. Psalm 14 says, The Lord looks down from heaven on humanity to see if there's anyone who seeks after God but he finds that they have all turned away from him. God looks for people who are seeking after him. And do you know what he's discovered? Not a one. Not a. Not a one. Romans 5 says, When we were utterly helpless, we were utterly bankrupt, we were utterly destitute, Christ came at the right time and died for us. Romans 5 again says, When we were God's enemies, our relationship with God was restored via the death of God's Son. 1 John 4 says, We are able to love because God first loved us. 1 John 4 continues to say, Our love relationship with God isn't from us loving God, but from God loving us. Jesus said in John 15, You didn't choose me. I chose you. And then a little later he says, 
I chose you out of all the people in the world. And then finally in Ephesians 1, Paul says, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to be adopted courage unto Himself. My first point, my first word of encouragement is that God demonstrates consistently through the lives of the people in the book of Genesis and through the rest of the Old Testament, time and time and time again, that God is seeking us. God wants a relationship with us. God is moving heaven and earth to create a relationship with us. He, and He will never give up. He will never, literally, you'll have to die to stop God's efforts to pursue and create a relationship with you. You will literally have to die for Him to, He'll stop at death. At, to, at death do His part. But until then, God is pursuing you. He's chasing you. He's hounding you. He chose you. He chose you. What Paul says there in that Latin vision, before time began, He wanted you long before you ever wanted Him. Okay, y'all are listening too slow, so we got to be hurt. We got to quit. All right, the next word of encouragement. Second pattern that I saw in the lives of these people in Genesis is this. Time and time and time again, I noticed God promising people that He was going to get them to a certain destination. I'll show you some examples. And shockingly, miraculously, amazingly, every time God told somebody, I'm going to get you to a certain place, you know what happened? What happened, Michael? They got the, no. Say it isn't so. Every time God said, I'm taking you to a certain place. It could have been a physical place. It could have been a positional place. But every time, do you know what they wound up experiencing? That place. Let me give you some examples. God, my point is simple. God not only chose us before we ever chose Him, God will always get us home. When God tells a person that He is going to get them to a specific destination, that is not a wish. That's not a hope. That's not a good idea. That's not God's plan. Because, you know, we all make plans and then we, they don't work out. I make plans every day and then some work, some aren't. No, no, no. When God told people in the Old Testament, I'm going to get you to a certain place, it wasn't an idea or a suggestion. It was more certain than the sun coming up and the sun setting. God, and the, the, I can, I'm going to give you a bunch of examples. The most obvious example, if you're reading with me through Exodus, is God appeared in Exodus 3 
uh, uh, to Moses. And he said, Moses, I want you to go down, back down to Egypt, where you're from. And I want you to gather up my people. And I want you to tell them this. I have seen your misery. I have seen what people have been doing to, to y'all. It makes me sad and it makes me make you to the promised land. You out of Egypt and I'm going to take you to the promised land. And we hadn't gotten there yet in our reading, but I'm going I'm to give you a spoiler. My wife hates for me to tell her the end before the, before the end occurs, but I'm just going to go in and surprise you, ruin it for you. The people of God are delivered out of Egypt and they wind up exactly where God told them they would be and that's in the promised land. Um, Noah, I got a plan for you. I want you to build a boat, get a couple of every kind of animal walking on the earth and gather them in there. And at the end of the, there's going to be this horrific flood. And at the end of the flood, you and your wife and your sons and your daughters-in-law and all those animals, you're going to step out on dry ground and be safe. A hundred and one and a half years Later, Noah stepped out of the ark onto dry ground. God told him where he was going to get him to, and he got him exactly there. The same with Abraham. Abraham, I'm bringing you from Ur to the promised land, and I'm going to give you that land. That is exactly what he did. Jacob, I'm going to, I'm going to take you from the promised land uh, back to your uh, ancestors land in Ur but then I'm going to bring you back to the promised land and then Jacob I'm going to take you to Egypt you're going to die there but I'm going to get your body back to the promised land the same with Moses we're reading, we just read just a, a week ago God told Moses at that burning bush Moses I want you to go down to Egypt give these messages to my people you're going to do some plagues and do all kind of arguing and debating and, and all that kind of stuff but at the end of the day, in about a year, you're going to be right. You're going to stand right here in front of that same bush. And that's exactly what happened. The same with Joshua. The same with David. The same with the Lord Jesus. Poor, poor Lord Jesus. Victim Lord Jesus. Taken advantage of. He was just a leaf. In the, the sea, the, the waves and the winds of life, blown hither and to, used him and killed him. What a, what a, a precious, innocent, sweet, uh, do gooden kind of a life just cut short in the prime of life. Is that the life of Jesus? No. He told his disciples at the beginning. My father sent me down here and I'm going to live a life and I've got things that I'm going to do and things I'm going to teach. But at the end of the day, I'm heading toward Jerusalem because I came to be a sacrifice 
for the sins of the world. He ultimately wound up exactly where his dad had promised him that he would be. The Apostle Paul, this will be my last example. I could give you, we could do it with every person in the Bible. That's the, that's the pattern. God told uh, 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 Paul, he's in a jail in Jerusalem. And he says, Paul, I want you to go to Rome and preach the gospel to, to uh, uh, Caesar. Okay, Lord, but you know, I'm in prison here in Jerusalem and it looks like it's not going to go well for me and they're going to probably kill me right here. You're going to go to Rome. That's my plan. That's my promise. And you're going to preach to Caesar. Well, Lord, there's all kinds of things going to happen to me along the way. I'm going to get, there's going to be attacks on my life and I'm going to get beaten and I'm going to be thrown into the sea and, 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 and shipwrecked and I'm going to swim up on an island and there's going to be a snake that bites me on the hand. God, look at all these hindrances to me getting to where you've told me I'm supposed to be. I understand all that. Just be sure you've polished up on your Rome speaking. Because you're going to have to speak Roman, dude. You're, because that's where you're going to be. And shockingly, the very last book, of the last chapter of Acts, Paul is in Rome waiting for his turn to preach to the most powerful man on the face of the earth in that day. God promised Every person in the book of Genesis, every person in the Old Testament, every person in the Bible. Now, he didn't necessarily, uh, we don't have records of this. I'm just saying that God made promises to the people of the Bible that there would be specific destinations that they would go to. And every time God told them of specific destinations, they wound up arriving in that exact Place. I'm not suggesting that we ought to just buy a lawn chair and sit out in the backyard and drink mint juleps and watch the grass grow or the, tea, the, the leaves turn because I'm going to get to heaven someday no matter what I do. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what the Bible says. God's promise to get each of us home does not neglect our responsibility to pursue God, to follow God, to walk with God, to serve God, to abide with God. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, The one who stands firm till the end will be saved. Yes, we should stand firm. We need to work on it every day. We need to get up in the morning, roll up our sleeves, get on our knees, read our Bible, and cry out to God for grace, and then get up and run and serve and sacrifice and give and help and love and forgive and bless. Yes, I'm not suggesting that we ought to just, well, I'm in this boat and, and it's going to, just sail down the river without me, with me or without me. So I, there's, I'm not supposed to do that. That's not my point. You've, many of you have heard me many times. My favorite chapter in the Old Testament is Psalm 37. Where David says that we should wait on the Lord. We should wait on the Lord. And you've heard me say many times. That Hebrew idea of waiting on the Lord. It's the idea of two vines in a vineyard. 
that would be wrapping themselves around each other. A strong vine and a little new vine. And the, the little vine is wrapping itself around the, around the strong vine and it's clinging. The word weight means to cling. He's clinging to that strong vine for nutrition and support and to be able to grow up and get light and to get water. It, the little vine is clinging to that strong vine and we should cling. We should cling. We should pursue. We, we, we should follow. Absolutely. But the point of Psalm 37, the point of this Hebrew idea of waiting, is not what the little vine's doing. Good for you, little vine. Cling all you want. You should cling. But what's important is that that big vine is clinging to you. He's going to cling to you every day of your existence. He will never let go. He will never let you fall. He will hold you. You cling like a little child. My grandson, he jumps in my arms and he clings to my neck. And it's so wonderful that he does. It's so wonderful that he does. And I'm glad he does. And it's important that he learns to do that. To cling to the people that he loves. But I would just suggest to you, his safety has nothing to do with him clinging to me. It's that I'm clinging to to him. David's primary emphasis here is not on us clinging to God. It's our realization that God is clinging to us. Psalm 138 says that God will complete his plans for my life for your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. John 6, Jesus says, This is my Father's will who sent me, that I, should lose, that I should not lose any of those that He has given me, but I will raise them up on the last day. John 17 says, While I was with them, I kept them safe, and I did not lose one of them. John 18 says, Of all those that you gave me, Father, I did not lose one of them. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, The Lord will protect me from all attacks and bring me safely into His kingdom. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Jesus will keep you strong till the end so that you will be blameless when He returns. And Peter says in 1 Peter 1, God is protecting you by His power till you receive your salvation on the last day. And then finally in Colossians 3, Paul says, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, you will be revealed with Him in glory. Do you hear in those verses, do you hear God saying, I've got a destination for you. It is the most incredible destination. It's beyond your wildest dreams. And guess what? You're going to make it. It's my job to get you there. Yes, cling. Yes, serve. Yes, follow. Yes, walk with me. Abide with me. Spend time with me. Get to know. Yes. But at the end of the day, it's I've made a promise to you. I will take you. You to, to your home. I'm going to take you to be with my dad. And I promise you that you will ultimately get there.
Philippians chapter 1 says this. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete that work. Have you ever considered what that work is? What is the work that God is completing in you and in me? Well, the Bible says that before the foundation of the world, God began a work in you that included that He predestined you, He chose you, He elected you, He called you, He wooed you, He justified you, He enlightened you, He convicted you, He forgave you, He pardoned you, He invited you to join Him, He drew you, He adopted you, He married you, He included you, and He swapped your rags for royal robes. As Justin's song uh, included you. I thought that was really neat that you sang about that. Swapping those rags for robes. And that's exactly. Did you hear all those things that God did for you and for me? Literally before time began. God had done all of that. All of that for you and for me. And today... God is inhabiting you. He's keeping you safe. He's guiding you, warning you, protecting you, providing for you, maturing you, defending you, and interceding for you. Wow! You mean God did all of that and He's doing all of this? Seems like a lot of trouble. If somewhere along the line, God turns too sharp and throws us out of the boat. Yesterday afternoon, just for a, on a whim, I punched in my laptop, Brides Falling Out of Boats. You ought to do it sometime. There were more than you could, I could have spent a lifetime. Brides and grooms. And mothers and siblings and best friends that had spent only God knows how much money and time and energy creating these unbelievable spectacles. And danged if somewhere along the line, for various reasons, <laughs> something happens and the bride is thrown out of a boat. Let me tell you what, the, shockingly, the mama and the bride never thought that was funny. I never once saw a video where the mama or the bride thought that was funny. I'm just declaring to us today that if you read about the lives of the Old Testament saints, you see this pattern of God telling people like Noah, and Abraham, and Moses, and David. I'm going to get you somewhere. I promise you. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride. Will it be hard sometimes? Will it be confusing sometimes? Will it be scary sometimes? Yeah, that's part of it. But I promise you, I promise you, you will arrive where I've told you that you're supposed to be.
I believe it is unthinkable. Uh, uh, oh, I'll tell you, uh, in Exodus 32, I read it just today, where it talks about uh, God tells Moses I'm, uh, that he's going to get his people to the promised land. And in this conversation between God and Moses, this statement is made. God says to Moses, It is unthinkable that I would not get my people to, to the promised land because I don't want the nations of promise to them. It is unthinkable to think that I would not keep my promise to them. It is unthinkable. In God's mind, it is unthinkable that he would ever make you a promise or make me a promise to get us home. To get us to where God wants. Home being where we're supposed to be on this earth and ultimately home being where we're supposed to be in for eternity. God is committed to getting us to where he wants us to be. God shows you before time began. God's going to get you to where you're supposed to be. I find those two things so encouraging, so hopeful, so peace creating. It creates with me a desire to want to get to know these people who experienced these activities of God better. You remember when you were in fourth or fifth grade? Maybe a little older. There was a little girl, I'm speaking from a guy's perspective. There was a little girl in your class that you just thought was the most beautiful, wonderful person you'd ever seen. And you wanted her to be your girl, little girlfriend, whatever that looks like. And, uh, but you were scared to death. What if she won't? Uh, remember when you had to line up in two lines and you were going to do, uh, what do you call that, country dancing? Square dancing. You, and you were going to square dance and the girls got to pick the boy. And every boy in line is scared to death. What if the little girl that I want to pick me, what if they don't pick me? What if, what if the girl that I want to choose me doesn't choose me. It was the most horrifying thing you could imagine. I can't help you with that. But I can tell you that if you go to bed at night like I did when I was a teenager. And I was horrified that God wouldn't pick me. I want, God wouldn't pick me. What if, what if I'm unpickable? What if I'm unworthy? What if, I, what if God would, would, doesn't want to choose me? I'm just declaring to you. God has chosen you. He's picked you. I used to tell my daughter when she was little. Every night before she'd go to bed, I'd come in and I'd pray with her and I'd kiss her. And then I'd say, Rainy Ray, don't forget that if I had every little girl in the universe lined up shoulder to shoulder and I could pick any one of them to be my daughter, I'd pick you every day and twice on Sunday. And she would grin and she'd roll over and she'd go to sleep. I'm telling you that God, if he could, he can line up every person that has ever existed shoulder to shoulder and he could pick any one of them he wanted. I'm declaring to you, 
He picks you. He chooses you. He wants you. He will do anything imaginable in His pursuit of you. He chooses you. He loves you. And He wants a relationship with you. And God promises that He will get us home. Flat tires, skint knees, crash off in a ditch. Somebody else ram into our car. We run out of gas. The engine blows up. Get in the middle of storms. I understand all those are really terrible things. The day God promises that if we belong to Him, He has a destination in mind and in store for us. And He's going to get us there. Win, lose, or draw by hook or by crook. He's going to get us there. I bet that is the testimony of every person that I could find in Genesis. God picked me, and God got me to where I was supposed to be. I believe that that is God's exact same plan for you and for me. Let that encourage us today. Um, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. So, uh, music people, y'all come on up. And um, Larry and April, y'all come up here and help me, please. Colossians chapter 3 says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. We end each service taking bread and wine or juice. We have apple juice and we have wine. Uh, the wine's purple and the apple juice is yellow. Um, but we take bread and wine and we eat and drink each week to remember what the Lord Jesus did for us. The body of Christ takes that which represents the body of Christ and eats it to give thanks and to remember what the body of Christ experienced for our sakes. If you are hidden with Christ, you know, who gets to take the Lord's Supper? Do you have to be a Baptist or a Presbyterian or a, a Methodist or a Catholic? Who gets to take the Lord's Supper? Do I have to be a member of this church or give money or what, what do I have to do? Do I have to have lived a perfect life last week? Uh, what is it that I have to do to get to take the Lord's Supper? Are you hidden in Christ? Is it your conscious hope and desire and prayer that when you stand before God and God looks at you, there's going to be somebody standing between you and God. You and your filth. You and your failure. You and your mean-spirited knuckle-headedness. Between you and a holy and perfect God. Is it your hope that there will be somebody standing between you. That is perfect. That is perfect in every way. And his name is Jesus. If that's your hope. If that's your prayer. If that's your, what you're banking on. Then you come and you eat and you drink and you remember what he did for you on the cross. Okay? You come when you're ready. There will be prayer on both sides of the auditorium. 
Uh, it, there will be people there that want to pray with you. If you have a need, please go to them and let them pray for you.